Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 29th. So many results for us to sift through from the past weekend of action. What we're going to do, as we always try to do here to start our week, reset things with all the action in Miami. Of course, it was a fantastic weekend in the college tennis world. The ATP Challenger Tour never slows down. We're going to save those topics for our Great Shot podcast feed. David Gertler going to join me later in the week to recap all of the challenger action. Of course, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halioris already joined me on the podcast. That's going to be released Tuesday for all of you listeners recapping a wild weekend of college tennis. But what I want to do to recap all of the action in Miami on part one or this podcast is going to be two separate episodes. Otherwise, it'll be a three-hour episode. I'm going to recap the weekend matches in Miami. We're talking Saturday. Saturday and Sunday, I believe that's back half round of 64, front half round of 32 for the men, and then I think both round of 32s for the women. Uh, And then on part two of the podcast, I'll recap Monday's matches. So round of 16 for the women, round of 32 for the men. Now, of course, you may have already seen those results and, you know, the impact of them on how I feel about the the previous day's results. To me, it makes no difference. I can be really excited about someone's performance in the round of 32, round of 64, whatever it may be, they can then lose their next match. I can still be excited about the previous match. And of course, there's a lot to be excited about. I don't want to skip any of that because again, we're just so excited to have tennis week in, week out, day in, day out amidst a pandemic. We want to celebrate and take note of all of the matches that are happening. But again, on today's podcast, just going to be me steering the ship part one. I'm going to recap all of Saturday and Sunday's Miami results part two. I'll recap everything on Monday so that we're fresh to go Tuesday night, recapping Tuesday's matches and so on and so forth. Of course, the reason I'm able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast week in, week out is because of all of the support we get from all of you fantastic listeners, the support we get from our Patreon subscribers, and sincerely thank you to those Patreon subscribers. It may be $1, $2, $5 a month. It adds up and it supports all of the things we try to do here at Cracked Rackets. And then, of course, I can do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. It's outdoor season, folks. Update your gear so you can get your best performance for your return to the court. Go to MidwestSports.com where you can find all of the best gear at all of the best prices. You use best prices, best prices. Hey, great shot. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Midwest sports.com the promo code is cr15 with that in mind oh do we have some tennis to talk about let's start on the women's side and for me there are two big storylines and i talked about them on the deciding point so if you listen to our great shot podcast feed you may have already heard an abbreviated version of both of these storylines you know one of them is the performance of the top seeds who have been exceptional in miami and i promise folks we'll get there but storyline number one the most feel-good story and perhaps the most impactful story moving forward 
Is the return of Anaconia to an elite level in a WTA 1000 level event? For those of you who are unfamiliar with the name Anaconia, the 23-year-old Croatian is a former world junior number one who won the 2013 Junior Australian Open singles title. She followed that up playing a classic 2013 U.S. Open girls singles final. I believe that match against Tornado Alicia Black. It was a 7-6 in the third battle back at the 2013. 13 U.S. Open. Again, for me, that's senior year of high school. Uh, so that's right in the prime when I'm following those things closest, if you're asking why I remember that. But let's talk about some of the other things Konya's accomplished in her young career. A, she made her ATP debut, uh, ATP, excuse me, WTA debut, hey, great shot, in 2014 at age 16. She made her debut in the top 100. In 2015, she won her first WTA title in Nottingham, becoming the youngest player to win a main tour event since 2006. She also reached a career-high ranking of number 20 in the WTA rankings in July of 2017. That came on the back of second-round performances at the Australian Open and French Open, a fourth round at the 2017 Wimbledon, and a quarterfinal at the 2016 U.S. Open. You look at what she's accomplished you know, more granularly throughout her career. Of course, she's had a couple of top 10 wins. Of course, I mentioned the Junior Slam title she's had in her career. Uh, the top 10 win she beat Radwanska at the U.S. Open in the fourth round. She beat Content Sibylkova in 2017. She was on her way to, be, to establishing herself as one of the top young players in the women's game. And then, unfortunately, injuries and off-court you know, setbacks have held her back these past few seasons. You look Overall, in 2018, she was barely able to play. In total, she played six matches. She goes two and four in those matches. 2019, she's only able to play five matches. Then 2020, she's not able to play at all until after the tour restarts in August. She goes 12 and five in primarily ITF 25K level events, makes a couple of semifinals, wins a uh, a 25K title in Zagreb, to end the season. And then here to start the year, nine and six overall. But most importantly, you know, she plays qualifying at the Australian Open, loses a three set match to Irani, qualifies in Dubai before losing to Anisimova, loses second round of qualifying in St. Petersburg, but makes the most of her wild card here on the weekend. And, you know, this past weekend she she knocked off Iga Sviantek. That was the big result on Saturday. Six four two six six two. It comes on the back of her beating Madison and Keys and Katerina Sinyakova in straight sets. And I mean, you watch Konya play for, you know, 10 minutes and you're like, oh yeah, that, and you find out she's 23. You're like, I bet she was really good in the juniors because the ball just explodes off of her racket. And let's start with the backhand because her ability to catch that backhand early, go both cross court and down the line with tremendous power, her ability to buy time on that wing, elevate shots over the net, her ability to catch that ball early and go short angle. And it just makes sense why, you know, when you watch her, you're like, oh yeah, with that contact point, with the way she swung, that ball should go exactly there. It just looks so easy for her on that. 
that wing. And then the forehand, it's an extreme grip, but she's able to produce heavy topspin, change direction, create angle, take the ball early. The ground strokes are really nice. And again, you look for her performance here in her matches against Sviantec. She makes 63.664% of her first serves, wins 71% of those points, 50% of her second serve point saves, uh, four of the seven break points she faced, but you know, created 14 break chances for herself. Only converted four of them, but they were the four she needed. She won over, uh, I believe, or she won 53.5% of her second serve return points, 37% of her first return points, but about 44% for the match. With the way she was holding serve, that was good enough. And look, you watch her play, it's clear Anaconia's movement is not where it needs to be. And movement was never the strongest part of her game, but... You know, she really hasn't played this level of matches in two, three seasons. So the fact that her footwork, you know, if you can get her stretched into the outer thirds, she'll either, you know, just say, good shot, you win this rally. She's very good at conserving her energy or... You know, again, she'll be stretched, she'll hit a slice, and then you can go to the open court, you can go behind her, things start to open up if you can get her on her back foot, but you can say that about a lot of people. And I think the most promising part for Anaconia is the fact that, you know, she hasn't played a competitive match in three years. Give her two months of WTA action, I promise you, she will get back into the sort of match shape she was two, three seasons ago. That's the last piece that comes back when you're working from a long injury like this. And the fact that the ground strokes look at as good as they do, the fact that, you know, again, in each of the matches she played this week, she won about 70% of her first serve points. She was over 50% on second serve points in two of her three victories. You know, I've already seen her money. She loses to Sevastova. Spoiler alert. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we're on part two of this podcast. But You know, you watch Konya, and you can watch a lot of players in the top 100. The ball doesn't explode off of their rackets the way it does from her. She just has that talent. She's in that top, you know, 0.1, 0.5% of pro players who the ball just comes off the racket differently than everyone else. And again, patience will be the key. Even with her result here this week, Konya only at number 241 in the live ranking. So she, you know, she's going to get some wild cards probably, but... She'll still have to play ITF events, 100Ks, qualifying. She'll get a lot of matches under her belt if her body's able to hold up. But if her body's able to hold up, she'll be in the top 100 by the end of the 20. I'm not with the rankings protections, maybe not this year, but I'd say the 2022 season. She's too talented. The ball, she just strikes the ball too well. If you don't have weapons, she's going to hurt you. If you leave a ball in the center of the court, she's going to punish you. And even when you get her stretched, she can do some special things. Anaconia was fantastic this week. Her win over Sviantec, again, 6-4-2-6-6-2, was one of the matches of the weekend. And again, you know, Sviantec, I thought, did a really good job because she went down an early break in that second set. She could have just gone away. She didn't. She bounces back, takes the set 6-2, But, you know, she just got a little tentative. She, you know, Konya threw a lot of pace at her, particularly at that forehand wing, and Sviantec would leave a ball short in the center of the court. And, you know, in the match, her second serve sat up a little bit, and these courts in Miami are playing so slow, and that does help on a Konya for sure. Uh, But, you know, the forehand, it was a little concerning because you do, it really wasn't concerning. I thought, actually, Sviantec competed really well, even though her game... Uh, she didn't have her A game on the day, but 
Again, she did fight off 10 of the 14 break chances she faced. She kept this match super competitive. Konya just had the bigger weapons. I suppose that's the scary thing is if Konya has bigger weapons than Sviantek, she must be striking the ball well, and she is. You know, again, for Sviantek, the forehand broke down a little bit in this match when pressured by pace, but I thought she moved really well. She did a really solid job of withstanding the first strike of Konya. The problem is Konya's second strike was just on on this day. And I think she fed the, her backhand. It was just any time Sviantek hit to that backhand wing, it felt like Konya took control of the rally. Uh, it was a really good performance from Anna Konya, but again, no concern from Iga Sviantek. It's maybe her first round of third, like second round of 32 at a Masters event. This was not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, with this result, Sviantek, who's still putting points on the board for herself, she's going to move up, I believe, in the rankings. Or, excuse me, stay put number uh, at number 16. Um, but she did gain points this week by making the round of 32 in Miami, which, of course, is a little bit funny. Uh, and the fact that she's a Grand Slam champion and still not ranked inside the top 10. But that was your big result from Konya. That's storyline number one. Storyline number two, as I mentioned, is the story of the top seeds continuing to show their form. Let's start with one of the less heralded seeds, uh, a top seeds, a top seed who some people often, I, I don't want to say some people, I hate attacking arbitrary straw man. It's fair to say Alina Svitolina's upside is not as high as someone like a Naomi Osaka, like a Bianca Andreescu, like an Arena Sabalenka even, who, when they're playing their best tennis, simply put, will just hit their opponents off the court. Of course, you want to put Kvitova in that list, Muguruza, obviously a higher ceiling as well. But Alina Svitolina is damn good, and outside of Simona Halep, she's been the most consistent player in the women's game over the past seven and a half seasons. Don't believe me? Let's look at her record since 2014. 38 and 24, 41 and 24, 41 and 22, 53 and 16, 44 and 16, 40 and 21, 21 and 19. She's now 13 and 5 to start the season here uh, as she makes the quarterfinals of this event. But this past weekend, a really impressive victory 7 6 6 4 over Ekaterina Alexandrova. And it's a small thing because we all know Svitolina is going to track down a ton of balls. She's going to make a bunch of extra shots. She's going to move the ball well around the court. She's going to absorb your pace, redirect it. But if you have the big weapons, you can overwhelm her. But Svitolina, I, I think it's an eye test numbers thing sort of matching up. Her first serve percentage on the season, a little bit lower than it normally is. She's currently, I believe, at 58.1%. For the season that's under her career average of 61.4. However, she's winning 68% of her first serve points. That's greater than her first serve percentage of 66 for her career. She's also at 48 on the second serve. That's better than her career number of 46. I think that's an eye testing. You can see she's trying to be a little bit more aggressive on serve, trying to create some plus one opportunities, a few more free points in the match, even if it leads to you know a slight dip in the first serve percentage. She trusts the rest of her game, and it's just can she make things easy enough for herself over the course of a long match with a Sabalenka in Osaka, who eventually are going to find their rhythm, right, and just hit you off the court for three straight games. Can Svitolina do that to her opponent? is the question that will determine, respectfully, whether she wins a Grand Slam in her career or not because she's so excellent at everything else. Again, 
a top 10 mover in the women's game. I think forehand, backhand, winged, neither is a glaring error. She's able to do all the things she wants with the shots. Go line, go cross, short angle, elevate to create time. She's got pretty good hands. Not great, but good enough hands at the net and is able to recognize when the opportunity presents itself for her to move forward. Again, it's not the sexiest pick to say Svitolina is going to make the semifinal of the event, but that's what usually happens whenever she's playing uh, something like this, at least the quarterfinals. And again, she just kind of worked Alexandrova in this match through a bunch of different looks at her, never went in the same direction more than twice in a row, because if you go in the same direction twice in a row, Alexandrova's got enough pop from the ground to hit through you, and she benefits from these slow court conditions as well, gives her that extra half second to set her feet, but Svitolina just threw a million different looks at her, and again, it was a really impressive victory for Svitolina to advance to the round of 16, and ultimately, we'll talk about her round of 16 match again in part two of this podcast. Those were the two breakdowns I wanted to get to from Saturday's results in terms of, again, the other matches. Kvitova, straight set wins over Kanta. It felt like this might be one of those weeks for her. She looked so outstanding, has continued to be great here early in 2021. Sabalenka, really nice victory over an informed Verona Kudermatova. Again, Kudermatova, Veronica Kudermatova. Kudermatova is not going to be a top 10 player. She just doesn't quite have enough of everything to get to that upper echelon, but she's going to beat a lot of top 20, top 10 players throughout her career because when it looks good, it looks really good for Kudermatova. She's a great athlete. She plays low, flat tennis, and I think these courts were perfect for her. Sabalenka just overwhelmed her with her power. It was one of those days for Sabalenka, but Kudermatova made her sweat. And she was up 4-3 in that first set tiebreaker. Two Sabalenka serves. Kudermatova missed two returns that she would love to have back because they were very makeable returns. But then Sabalenka hit a return winner and I think a backhand down the line winner. And that was the set. And that's what Arena Sabalenka will do to you. Great performance for her. Great performance for Vika Azarenka, who I think moves to 9-1 in her career head-to-head with Angelique Kerber. Kerber threw everything at Azarenka in that first set and led at multiple different times, but just didn't have enough firepower to hit through Azarenka again, particularly on the slow courts. Azarenka, the run last year was real, folks. She's back. She looks great. 5-2 and two win over Kerber. You also had victories on the day from Ashley Barty, who... She, you know, people question her deservance of the number one ranking. I'm not going to question the merits of their questioning of her having the number one ranking because, yeah, she hasn't played as much tennis as a lot of other players these past 15 months. But she's absolutely a top five player in the women's game. Her movement, her ability to move the ball around the court, her ability to absorb what you do and take away the thing you want to do the most, special, folks. And she just worked Ostapenko to the corners in this match. It was a fun straight set victory for her. Fortunately, Halep pulled out with injury against Sebastova. Hopefully, we get her healthy for the French Open run. And then Marketa Vandrusova, three-set win over Belinda Bencic, 4-6-6, 4-6-4. That match was fantastic. I'm not going to do a full breakdown because if I do, this podcast will go six hours. But Vandrusova, the lefty, slow courts, move the ball around the court through a million different looks at Bencic. Bencic is starting to play her best tennis again, folks, and that firepower can hit through anyone. But Vondrusova made her work, 
And again, it was a really, really fun, high-level three-set match. That was your Saturday action. Let's go to Sunday now on the women's side. Uh, again, just a couple, nothing too crazy for you in terms of the breakdown. No Konya svitolina esque breakdowns. But the Sunday tennis across the board was fantastic. You had eight matches, seven really, given that Osaka got a withdrawal from Stojanovic. Six of the seven matches go three sets on the day. And I mean, let's start with the nightcap. Bianca Andreescu, 7-6-6-7-6-4 over Amanda Nisimova. I don't know how else to say it other than this. If healthy, Andreescu's back. She is that talented. She is that good. That run to the U.S. Open title was no fluke, folks. And the level in this match was incredibly high. And look, Anisimo was dealt with a ton of different injuries, a ton of, you know, off-court things. And we don't have to relitigate those right now, but... She's got so much talent, does the uh, young American, and I mean, what, she's 5'11", 6 foot, her serve, her ground strokes, the power she possesses, when she connects cleanly with the ball, it's either going to be a winner, or it's going to set up a winner on the next stroke, and, you know, I'm so sad I didn't think of this comparison earlier, it reminds me of a modern Karolina Pliskova. Anisimova, a little bit more fluid, but if you leave a center in the, a ball in the center against her, against Pliskova, the point is over, and they use their length to you know, beat you to the spot, take the ball early. Neither of them is going to be the most fluid movers around the court, but because of their length, they're able to cut, uh, track down that extra ball and put it on your body before you're ready to hit it. And, you know, I think Anisimova's serve is really dynamic as well. And in this match, she made 70% of her first serves won, you know, over uh, 60 or won 63.5% of her first serve points, 56.8% of her second serve points, fought off 14 of the 17 break points she faced. Now, why I say Andrescu's legit Andrescu got broken twice, but those were the only two break points she faced. She was 0 of 2 in terms of saving them, but she was 46 of 59, 78% on first serve points, 20 of 40 on second serve points. Whenever she was able to play plus one tennis or just get that return deep on the body of Anisimova, she essentially won the point. She, Whenever she was able to get her stretched and she used her variety, her drop shots, her short angles, taking the ball early, moving forward, hitting swinging volleys, she can do a little bit of everything. And she moves really well. And again, she was able to withstand the overwhelming power of Anisimova. She didn't get too flustered when Anisimova would hit that kind of stretched out, looped over Medvedevish stretch forehand down the line winner, which Anisimova can do because, again, she's got that sort of firepower. But Andrescu throws everything at you, and she's got that sort of firepower as well. The jack of all trades, she's so delightful to watch, so happy she's healthy. She continues to find her form, and this is her best win yet as she knocks off Anisimova in three sets. And now she's got Garbine Muguruza, who knocks off in three sets Kalinskaya. Uh, you know, we talk enough about Muguruza, but that was a great result. Kalinskaya is the real deal, folks. She's got that sort of firepower as well. That's what's so exciting about so many of these young players they all just hit the ball differently. Like, it's just incredible. You can't leave balls in the center. Clara Tossin, Shinyu Wang, uh, Kalinskaya. Obviously, I just went on and on about Amanda Nisimova. I mean, it, I don't know if it's technology. I don't know if it's fitness. It's probably a combination of everything. The, the next generation of women's tennis is going to be so, so outstanding. And there's so many talented young players. Uh, Kalinskaya, one of them, but Muguruza, just too good. Credit to Onjabur. 
Gets the first top 10 of her win of her career, three sets over her nemesis on the court, Sonia Kennan. You know, this match featured so much variety, so much fun point construction, far too many drop shots for any human's liking, but uh, it was a really physical match. And again, for Kennan, no, she, you know, she usually wins this one. She didn't today, but she's still finding her way back post-surgery, post many different things, so... I thought it was a good competitive result for her. Jabour's just really confident right now playing some great tennis. That's a great win for her. A well-earned first top 10 win of her career. In terms of the highest quality match I saw on the day, Elisa Mertens, Annette Conteve. I mean, that's the Alex Gruskin special. I talk about those players almost every week on the mini break. They're not the Grand Slam contenders, but they're the best of the rest. They're the ones who you can just pencil into your round of 16s at each and every round uh, at Grand Slam because unless you are significantly better than them, you're not going to beat them. They can just do a little bit of everything. They move well. They put balls away, variety, forehands, backhands, serves, returns. That's the Mertens-Conteve story. And this match was physical. I mean, hour 47 for a 6-2-0-6-6-2, you think, oh, those are all lopsided stress, uh, matches. This is probably uh, sets. This is probably a quick match. But no, I mean, 10, 15, 20 ball rallies. You know, Conteve kind of figured out, okay, I want to go to the Mertens forehand side because that's the more... Uh, I suppose, or that's the side with more variance that fluctuates more than her backhand wing. But Mertens just threw the kitchen sink at Conteve, and uh, you know they both again move really, really well. They both take advantage when the opportunity presents itself to move forward, attack a short ball, change direction. This was just fun physical tennis, and you know Mertens is the WTA wins leader last year for a reason. She's a really tough out right now. Conteve just didn't have quite enough juice. And it really felt like after Conteve won the first game of the third set that she was going to win, in my opinion, the set. But then Mertens just found a level, raced out to a 5-1 lead. Conteve kept fighting back, but, you know, it just felt like every game point broke Mertens' way in that third set. And that's a credit. When you're confident, things rolled your way. They certainly are for Elisa Mertens right now. She's into the round of 16. Your other three results, Sarah Cerebez-Tormo, who, by the way, now 25-11 and 11 in her last—excuse me, 27-11 and 11 in her last 52 weeks. She's knocked off Bernarda Pera in three sets, Jennifer Brady in three sets, and now— Elena Rabakina in three sets as she earns a 6-1-3-6-6-2 victory. She just plays high percentage tennis. You know, she makes 70% of her first serves now. Those serves are so attackable. And, you know, she only wins 57.3% of her first serve points, 45.3% of her second serve points. The good news for her, her first and second serves are fairly similar The good news is she's won 49.2% of her return points over the last 52 weeks. She puts about every return in play. Her backhand slice just gives people trouble. And then she moves so well around the court. Obviously, she's coming off of a win in Guadalajara, a semifinal in Monterey. She's confident as can be. And now with these results, Sarah Cerebez-Tormo, who, by the way, only 24 years old, up to a new career high of number 48 in the rankings. And what's so scary is you know with her game style, she's going to be really, really tough out on the clay. So for her to rack up this many points at the WTA level this early in the season, be on the lookout for her to crack the top 40. Be on the lookout for her to potentially be seated come the Women's French Open. She's that well positioned. She's playing that well. Such high percentage tennis. Again, she tracks everything down. That backhand slice is going to give you difficulties. 
it was a fantastic victory for her three sets over again it was just the perfect contrast she broke the strike zone of her opponent 6-1-3-6-6-2 Elena Rybakina who again I continue to say another three set loss for her she's come so close so often this season don't give up hope on Rybakina but certainly start thinking confidently positive thoughts about Sarah Cerebas Tormo she has been fantastic here in 2021 and just quickly by the way because I'm talking about how fantastic these players have been by ELO ranking the tennis abstract which again measures who you're beating not where you're or when you're beating them Sarah Cerebas Tormo right now number 47 on their ELO rankings by yearly ELO ratings which is again ELO ratings who you're playing or who you're beating just in this 2021 season she's the number 20 player by tennis abstract yearly elo rating she's 11 and 3 on the year and honestly number 20 feels about right she has been although she's ahead of people like kvitova so that's not right jabor that's probably not right but and you know again she's certainly been a top 50 player you could argue top 30 these past 52 weeks she's just now certainly starting to have the results to prove that ranking God, I could get lost in these yearly ELO ratings. Kasakina's three right now. That's probably a stretch. Jessica Pegula's four right now. Is that a stretch? Given she's beaten Carolina Pliskova now three times, she does it again, 6-4 in the third to advance to the round of 16. I don't know. She, I mean, number four, yeah, that's a stretch. But she's been a top 20 player certainly here to start the year. A fantastic win for her over Pliskova. And then Maria Sakari continues to rock and roll. She's regained her rhythm. 0-1 win for her over Samsonova. That's your round of 16 on the women's side. On the men's side, again, fantastic set of results and I you know I think the title of today's podcast is going to be slow courts equals fantastic tennis that has truly manifested itself on the men's side I mean you start to look at some of the players who have had success here this week guys like Daniel Galan who was so outstanding on uh, the clay courts to end last season and I think made a semifinal at one of the South American clay court 250s a guy like Sebastian Corda, Francis Tiafo. Corda was a fourth-round French Open. Tiafo, highest win percentage by surface for him is Clay. A guy like Diego Schwartzman, or even you know the character of players, the Marin Ciliches of the world, the Taylor Fritzes of the world, too. Emil Rusevoris, who you know aren't bad movers, but certainly on a quicker court, their lack of elite movement gets exposed. Will you give them an extra half second, extra second, give them a high bounce like these courts in Miami are giving them? They're going to go on runs because when they have clean contact with the ball, they hit the ball as hard, if not harder, than anyone. And that sort of dictated the results we've seen across the board here this weekend in Miami. Let's start with Daniel Galan, who with his victory over Alex Diemenauer, 4-6-6-3-6-4, is now tw- or was 26-19 and in his last 52 uh, weeks, but reaches the round of 32 at a Masters, first Masters victory of his career. You look now in the live rankings with these results. Galan up to a new career high of number 110. He is now about, let's see, 784, 739, about 46 points away from cracking the top 100 
And he has been that good. I mean, you look for him over the last 52 weeks. Qualified, made the third round of the French Open. He wins the challenger in Lima on the clay. Makes a semifinal the week after in Campinas. Made a semifinal at the Kerry Challenger to start this season. He wins a match in Delray Beach and, you know, uh, makes that semifinal in Santiago. He's been right on the border of being a top 100 player. And, you know, find someone who looks at you, who loves you the way Daniel Galan loves to hit forehands and on these slow courts boy did he find forehands against Alex Diemenauer and you know it's very Kyle Edmundy in the way he dominates off of that wing if you give him a forehand he's in control of the point and he's going to go inside out inside out inside out to open in up the inside in forehand and you know his backhand's not a weapon but it's more than just a placeholder like he is confident with his backhand in rallies he can move that ball around he's hits a Really, really heavy kick serve, and you look for him against Demon Hour. He won 72% of his first serve points, fought off 10 of the 13 break points he faced. I mean, he just had the biggest weapon on the court, and you know, Demon Hour has taken some tough losses over the past few weeks. You look for him now over his last 52. He's you know 19 and 13, but the finals he made or the title he won in Italia to start the season, the final he made in Antwerp. And then the quarterfinals in the U.S. Open doing a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, he's now lost his last three matches all in three sets. It was, you know, three sets to Nishikori, three sets to Shardy, three sets to Daniel Galan. He lost three sets to Bautista Gut ATP Cup. He lost three sets to Yannick Sinner and Sofia, three sets to Daniil Medvedev in Paris. His fitness keeps him in every match he plays, and his speed, the amount of pressure he puts on you, that sneaky athleticism, that sneaky pop on the forehand, he's a good bet to win a set in each and every match he plays. The problem is, you know, the first serve is good, it's not great, and the second serve sits up a little bit, and, you know, again, he's going to be a top 20, top 25 guy throughout the course of his career as long as he's healthy. What gets him into Grand Slam contending range is can he develop that weapon? Can he make that first serve a legitimate, sets up a plus one ball for him every time? Can he get more free points? Because he does make things so difficult for himself, given his athleticism. I mean, that's what he wants. But of course, that is just a tough style to play. Three out of five sets for two weeks. Uh, And Galan had bigger weapons than him in this match. And certainly that's concerning, given Galan not a top 100 player. But Daniel Galan will be a top 100 player shortly. And he's only, what, 23, 24-year-old Colombian. But, you know, if you're Demon Hour, you're disappointed. You were so close in this match. But, you know, if you're Daniel Galan... You're elated because you have played that well of late, and the results are finally starting to come together. These conditions were perfect for him, and he made the most of them, getting the three-set victory. Speaking of making the most of the conditions of the matches available to you, Sebastian Corda moves to 28-8, and I believe, in his last 52 weeks as he knocks off Fabio Fonini, earning the highest-ranked win of his career uh, with and by the, uh, with a uh, 1-6-6-4-6-2 victory over the number 10 seed. I mean, look, Corda's numbers the last 52 weeks, 29-8 overall, French Open fourth round, first two challenger titles of his career, first ATP final of his career in Delray Beach. Now he makes the first round of 32 and... Spoiler alert, first round of 16, 
uh, at a Masters event of his career. You look at the live rankings now, despite all of the protections, Sebastian Corda up to a new career high of number 76. You look in the ELO ratings, by the way, by ELO rating, Daniel Galan right now, number 132 by yearly ELO rating. Let's see what Daniel Galan is right now by e- yearly ELO rating. He's 107. However, Sebastian Corda, number 28. By yearly ELO rating, number 36 overall by ELO rating. I had this debate last uh, tonight with someone. I think he's a top 50 player, and I think it's pretty hands down. Like, I don't think if – if you say to anyone, do you think Sebastian Cordes is a top 50 player right now, you look at his results, and I think you have to say yes. And I think you can go even higher than that. He really has been borderline a top 32 player in the world. Like, if I asked you, who are you more confident in right now moving forward, Sebastian Corda? or Alex D. Manauer, because they're fairly similar in age. Before this year, no, or before August, absolutely no one says Corda. After his French Open run, there may be a few people who say Corda. Now? Now? Do the, is it 50-50? I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you feel strongly, please tweet at me, at GreatShotPod, Corda versus D. Manauer. Who do you feel more strongly about? Certainly... Court has got the bigger weapons. He's got the definition of your modern male tennis player physical profile, and he's got the results of late as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a hot take, no denying that. I'm not saying I feel that way. I'm saying I don't feel any better about Sebastian uh, about Alex Dimonauer than I do Sebastian Corda. I feel equal, equally exceptional about both. And Sebastian Corda just, I mean, 76% of his first serves wins 69% of those points, fights off 8 of 12 break points, gets the 4 of 8 on his break point chances. He's just efficient. He's disciplined. It looks so easy. He can do a little bit of everything. Sebastian Corda, fantastic result over Fabio Fognini. Uh, in terms of the rest of your Saturday uh, uh, Saturday results, again, these were round of 64 matches, so going to rapid fire through them. Straight set wins from Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev, and Diego Schwartzman, all top five seeds. Shapovalov played a testy, but ultimately very fun 6 7 6 4 6 4 match against Ilya Ivashka to advance. Uh, you know, I thought it was great the way Shapovalov adjusted, the way he slowed down, but. I still think physically he clearly looks like he's taken a step forward this year. I think Milos Raonic looks really good this week. 2-1 win over Jordan Thompson. These high-bouncing conditions, so great for the serve and volleyers. And, you know, that's why uh, you saw him win. I, you, we saw Isner have success as well. You know, you look across the board. Chilich, another guy, beat Christian Guerin 7-6 in the third. Uh, Chilich having his best week since probably the 2019 season. Your other winners, Karatsev over Kakushkin, Umber over Sosa, Musetti, making Benoit Pair, or I suppose allowing Benoit Pair to go on an early vacation. Sinego, Manorino, Hercats, Nishikori, Fuksovic in a very fun three-set match over Tenesi Kakanakis, your other winners on Saturday. Let's move now to Sunday's matches. And again, I know it's a bit monotonous here. Just have a lot of tennis to catch you all up on. I apologize if you're sick of my voice, although I suppose at this point it is an everyday podcast and I think I'm on it every day. So probably used to my voice. So 
with that in mind, let's talk about the round of 32 matches. A lot of these were fun. We had eight of them, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven of... Oh, no, no, that can't be right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight matches. Six of the eight go three sets. And if you include the 7-6-7-6 affair between Isner and FAA, again, seven of the eight decided on the margins. Your one straight set win, Sasha Bublik, who continues to ride his momentum. You look at the yearly ELO ratings and and ELO ratings. Bublik right now by ELO rating, uh, number 23 by yearly ELO rating. You look for Bublik, number 43 by general ELO rating. You look for him right now in the live ranking, Sasha Bublik, number 45. Uh, that feels about right as it's really difficult to beat uh, the big server or excuse me the big serving 23 year old from Kazakhstan Uh, you look at the other results you know Medvedev was cramping against Alexi Popperin at the end that may be the story you want the the real story Medvedev 45 of 49 on first serve points Alexi Popperin his first serve his forehand they're elite and he won you know, 73% of his first serve points goes 54 of 74. He saved, I believe, seven of the nine break point fa- uh, that he faced and was only broken twice in the match against maybe the third best returner on tour or second best returner right now in Daniil Medvedev. Uh, but, you know, if you can get the ball to his backhand wing, if you can prevent him from setting his feet and turning into a forehand you're going to be able to have success against him. And, of course, Medvedev, no one does better at taking away the thing you want to do the most than Daniil Medvedev, who had just enough, who placed his serves just well enough to escape in a three-set, him cramping at the end victory. And, again, Alexi Popperin, that forehand, that serve, they're going to win him a lot of matches in his career. And he's coming off of the first ATP title of his career. He's been really great of late, but... You know, again, the slow co- the, the inside-out forehand return he ripped to clinch the set on set uh, to clinch the second set on set point. That's sort of him in the nutshell. When he does that, when that shot's landing, he can beat anyone. But he can also very much that on that list of anyone includes himself. And just you know, again, Medvedev makes things so tough for him. Popperin fought, but Medvedev just a little bit too much in the end. The best match of the day on Sunday on the men's side belonged to. Yannick Sinner, who knocked off Karen Hatchinoff four six seven six six four in an incredibly physical affair. You know, Sinner just hits the ball at a different speed and with just more velocity, more pace, more action than ninety nine percent of players. And look, he's twenty seven and eleven now in his last fifty two weeks. He reaches the round of sixteen at a major for the first time in his career and you know, his first serve now. He's winning 70% of his first serve points, 53% of his second serve points. He's holding 81% of the time. He's breaking serve uh, about 27% of the time, which isn't quite Djokovic, Nadal, prime of their career level good, but that's better than prime Roger Federer. And he's, you know, holding serve at over 80%, which is a really, really good mark. And, you know, I just think physically he becomes a better and better mover it feels like with every match that cross-court little flick uh slice shot he hit off of a Hatchinoff drop shot to create a breakpoint chance for himself at four all in the third set you know that just epitomizes his improving athleticism and again his ability to change direction Hatchinoff tried to play to his backhand wing but Sinner was having none of that he was going down the line with his backhand cross-court with his backhand never hitting the ball in the same direction more than two times in a row and just you know you can't let him play plus one forehand tennis because his weapons are too big. You can't let him play, you know, big on the return. You have to make a high percentage of first serves because you just can't give him control of the point. But, 
you know, as he gets into the outer thirds of the court, he gets better and better with each passing match as well. He's just a stud. I'm all in on Yannick Sinner. He does have Grand Slam champion type upside. And I'm not saying I didn't believe that before, but I thoroughly believe it now. Not just one slam, but I may feel better about him. I mean, certainly then he's probably above the... uh, I really like Korda of late, but he's definitely above the Demonauer tier, the Chorich tier, the Hatchinov tier. He's advanced at a ma- at a minimum into the Shapovalov FAA tier. He may even be amongst the group now. It might be the big four of CT. You know, F- well, I still really think FAA is going to win a Grand Slam one day, so I keep him in that group. But it's probably five names now: Tsitsipas, Medvedev, FAA, Zverev, and Sinner. I, those are the five guys I would be shocked if they emerged from this era without a Grand Slam title. That's how good Yannick Sinner has looked of late. Of course, again, there are so many other good matches on the day. Isner doesn't lose tiebreakers, doesn't lose in Miami. He's gone the past three years. Champion, finalist, now round of 16 as he knocks off FAA in what was a really fun 7-6, 7-6 match, at least as fun as an Isner match can be. RBA continues to come through in the big moments. 4-6-6-3-6-2 win for him over Struff. Francis Tiafo. Three-set matches are what he does. And again, the slower the court, the higher the bounce, the better he is. One six seven five six three victory for him over the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic. Taylor Fritz, really nice three-set victory for him over Cam Nori. Again, that extra half-second the conditions in Miami providing him gave him enough time to swing through that backhand. And I think he actually won the backhand to the Nori lefty forehand exchanges his serve. I mean, you look at the numbers. In the match, Taylor Fritz uh, makes only 60% of his first serves, but he's 42 of 57, makes 74% of, uh, wins 74% of his first serve points, saves three of the four break point chances he faces. And then Emil Rusevori, who I talked about a little bit on the last mini break podcast, but just continues his form, 466175 in the Battle of the Nordic States as he knocks off Swede Mikhail Yimmer in what was, again, a really fun match between two youngsters. But that's your weekend action in Miami, and I'm telling you, the round of 16 women's matches, the front half of the round of 32 for the men's side, it delivered the goods on Mondays uh, in on Monday in Miami. So you're absolutely going to want to stick around for our part two of this podcast, where again I'll talk exclusively about Monday's results. That will have us all caught up for Tuesday night's podcast, which will recap Tuesday's matches, and then from there we're good to go the rest of the week. Of course, I will remind you if you have missed any of the action, you need the immediate synopses. You want to hear more about college tennis? You want to hear more? about Challenger Tennis. You can find out about it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and all of our Cracked Rackets shows. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, excuse me. I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Leader and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. One last shout out. My boy, Old Blue, my old microphone, she, I call her my boy, but she unfortunately has retired on us. She passed away officially, of course. Again, Old Blue is a microphone that I recorded the first, what, 1,100 Cracked Rackets podcast with, however many we've done. They were all 
by Old Blue. And unfortunately, I think she had heard enough of my voice and she was just ready to be done with it. Uh, but she was great to me. We'll get a replacement mic. It's already been ordered. It's in the mail. So my peas will stop popping moving forward. But again, it's official Old Blue 2017 to 2021. She was fantastic to me. The steadiest thing I had going. Uh, unfortunately, no more podcasts for her. But nevertheless, again, that's really just my way of saying I will have my new microphone in shortly so the audio quality will be back to where we want it to be. With that in mind, for my wonderful uh, co-host, uh, my wonderful producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we will see you all for part two. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.